Thank you, Oné. Uh, good morning, brothers and sisters. I practiced the whole week to soften my R in brothers. Did you see that? I said, good morning, brothers and sisters. So I can only do it once in a sermon, so the rest of uh, this sermon, you will hear it. It's good for me to see you again this morning. Um, looking forward to opening up the Word with you. Really excited to preach and uh, finish up this part of our Word of God series. So Ones said it already this morning, we are finishing up our uh, Word of God series. What does that mean? That means we took the Bible, the Bible, which we believe to be the Word of God, and we preached about it. That's what we did the last three weeks. So every time we open ourselves up to be disciplined, to be taught, to be admonished, to be corrected, to be trained, to be edified, to be inspired, to be focused, we say to each other, we have to start here. This thing, this book to us is really, really important. In short, you cannot be, I'm telling you, taught, admonished, corrected, trained, or disciplined without the Word of God. So we had to polish our understanding of what it is, uh, of what the Bible does, and what we ought to do with it. I don't know if you guys know this saying, it goes, familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. Think about brushing your teeth. Which one of you got up this morning and thought, okay, take the toothbrush in one hand, take the toothpaste in the other, pea-sized amount on the brush, circular movements, get to the gums, go on the surface of my teeth, now the tongue, kind of roll it in the cheek once or twice, remember to stick out the tongue when I brush it. None of us did that this morning. Why? Because we're so familiar with brushing teeth. We have a three-year-old, she's not familiar with brushing teeth yet. So for her, I have to say, okay, Boki, now it's wazap, now get it out, wazap, and then I have to brush her tongue, and I have to instruct her every time, now we're going in circles, now we're going straight, bite on your teeth now, open up nice and wide for dad. We don't have to do that anymore because we've become familiar with that. If we let this happen to the Bible, we are in trouble. And I believe that Christians have become so familiar with the Bible that we have actually become unfamiliar with it. And we cannot let that happen. For, quote, one does not live from bread alone, end quote. Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy. So to guide us through this series of teachings, uh, we are following the stanzas of Psalm 119. So open up your Bible for us there first, please. Psalm 119. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. So if you, wanna, uh, if you use U Version, English Standard Version is where we'll be. I'll also put the scripture on the, um, uh, on the slides for us. So Jono did a great job three weeks ago uh, just to intro the book, to intro the book of Psalms. The week after, the 10th, Sammy was preaching, and he also repeated some of that background context, so I'm not going to go there today. But I believe a few remarks or reminders will at least suffice, just to get us set. Okay, so we're going to read the fourth stanza. It'll be verse 25 to 32, just to get us set for that, a few remarks. One, Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem. That means that the Hebrew alphabet has Letters, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Heer, Waf, Zion, Giet, Tiet, Yot. That's how it sounds if you pronounce it, just like we do our ABCs. Now what an acrostic poem is, is it takes each letter 
of their alphabet. And then has a stanza where every line starts with that letter. You'll remember Jono used, apples are awesome, Andile likes apples. That's an acrostic poem. Every line must start with a word. So I don't know if you guys have seen Hebrew before, but I thought I'll just show it to you today for some context, okay? So that is verse 1. Ach, the first stanza, apologies, of Psalm 119. And the only thing that I want you to see is look to your right. You know Hebrew is read from right to left, exactly like God's providence. It can only be read backwards. So you see the letter Aleph, right top, and then the second line, another Aleph, the third line, another Aleph. That's an acrostic poem. Next slide, please. And this is the second stanza that starts with the letter Beat. So you'll see the Beat, and then the second line, Beat as well. I just wanted to show you that because John has said it, and I only listened to it on SoundCloud, so I don't know if he did show that to you. So that's the first thing. Second thing, the content of the fifth part of the book of Psalms, which starts at Psalm 107, reflects the content of the fifth book of the Old Testament called Deuteronomy. Okay? So Deuteronomy literally consists of two Greek words, Deuteros, second, Nomos, law, the second law. That's what Deuteronomy is. Okay. And the easiest way to describe the book of Deuteronomy is this. Deuteronomy wraps up the story of Israel's wanderings in the wilderness. Moses calls the people together and lays out God's expectations for them in the future once they take the land of Canaan. Okay, so that's Deuteronomy. Got it? Third thing. That means that uh, this psalm, or at least Psalm 107 to 150, is a collection of psalms and hymns and prayers that praise and finds its roots in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, why is this important? Jesus quotes Deuteronomy on ten occasions. I don't know if you guys knew it. And Deuteronomy is the only book that Jesus quotes when he speaks to the devil in his time of trialing and testing uh, in the Gospel of Luke as well as the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus also quotes the Psalms on 11 occasions, which puts the Psalms at number one when it comes to Scripture quoting from Jesus himself. So think about it. A Psalm talking about the same content as Deuteronomy Deuteronomy being quoted 10 times by Jesus, quoting the Psalms 11 times, this is a significant portion of scripture that we are going to look at. So what is Psalm 119 all about? That's a rhetorical question. It's about the Bible. It's about the word of God. And it calls it, there's your heading, a lamp to my feet. So we've done three stanzas. We've done Aleph, the first one. And the theme of that stanza is the appreciation of the Torah. Appreciating God's word, appreciating what he gave to us to guide our lives. The second, uh, the theme is the divine teaching of wisdom. That means that Beit, the second stanza, should be all about God giving us divine wisdom through his word. The third one, the third stanza is called Gimel. And the, uh, the theme there was expressions of lament and then returning back to God's word. And the fourth stanza, which we will read today, is called Dalet. And the theme there is a cry for help. So let me set the sermon in foodie terms. I'm not a foodie myself. I love eating it, though. I don't make it that well. Eggs I can do and bryflace I can do quite well. So here's the sermon for today. A stanza 
from a poem about the Word of God, where the author cries for help, marinated and braised in the narrative of Deuteronomy, cooked to perfection and highly recommended by Jesus, our head chef. Are you hungry yet? I hope you are. If you are a believer, I pray that this sermon will have you fall in love with the Word all over again. If you are not a believer, my prayer is that you'll realize today that the Bible, this book, is actually way more important to Christians than the Harry Potter series. Or Lord of the Rings. Or the Chronicles of Narnia. Or series being binged watched on Showmax. This is the book. And I'm hoping to convince you about that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that the word and the scriptures point to you. Thank you that we can be together as a body and a family now. We open ourselves up to be taught by your word. It is a lamp to our feet. Therefore, we don't want to move one more step without that lamp shining brightly. We pray that in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to do two things. I am aware of the time. I'm just saying that to you because we started late. I'm going to see if I can just get us through everything at a good pace. I don't want to rush, but also don't want to go too slow. We're going to do two things. Read this stanza, and then I'm going to get really practical about how you actually read the Bible. Because the, 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 uh, the previous three weeks would have driven that point home, let's be honest. You have to read the Bible. So I thought to finish us off, I'm going to propose a way of reading the Bible to you. So the psalmist, at this point, verse 25, finds himself in need. And he's crying for help. That's what he does. Now what I want you to see is every time he cries for help, he also engages God's word. Meaning, as he cries for help, he remembers that help will come from God's word. Can I just drive that point quite strong now? But the word he uses to describe God's word is fascinating. And it leads us to understand the richness and the awesomeness and the breadth of God's word. And that's what I want you to keep your eyes open for. So the cry for help, and then a reminder of the word, but using a different word to describe the word every single time. And see how this person experiences the word. That means once he engages with the word as it is being described, something changes inside of him. And you'll see that we are going to move from, I feel like death, to I'm back up and running, all because of God's word. Isn't that just brilliant? Okay, so let's read. Verse 25, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to do the verses in pairs. So here's what he says. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Do you see the exclamation mark every time? Crying for help. So here's what he says. Verse 25. I feel like death. I'm done. What I need is your word. And that Hebrew word is davar. Your spoken word. Davar is actually a verb that says, he said. That's what davar is. So when I feel like death, I actually need you to speak to me. I need you to give me life according to those words that you said. Verse 26. When I told of my ways, when I told you how I felt, you answered me, teach me your 
statutes. So he uses a different word. It's not word, it's statutes. He says, when I called to you, you answered me, and you answered me with, this is what I ought to do. This is a meaningful way of living. So when I answered you, you did not necessarily give me exactly the answer to the question that I asked, but when I cried out to you, you reminded me that there is a way to live. And that's what the word statutes mean. It means guiding word. Think about, oh, it might be a long time ago for some of us. Think about your K53 learner's license theory book. Do you remember that bad boy? So that is statutes. It's guiding rules to use the road. And God's word gives us those. How do I drive? Read your K53. How do I love? Read your Bible. So not only God's spoken word giving him life again, but also God's guiding word reminding him how to live. Verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts. New word. And I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me. According to your word. Verse 27. Precepts. What is precepts? Precepts is guiding principles. Or something like the Ten Commandments. Do you guys remember the Ten Commandments? This is not necessarily a test for you to list them one to ten. But just think about the Ten Commandments. Ten very straightforward principles. According to which the Israelites is supposed to live their lives. It doesn't spell out all the detail, like when you get to a traffic circle, stop, blind spot, mirror, 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 blind spot, put in neutral, give way to right. It doesn't necessarily give all of that detail, but it is a guiding principle. Okay? Does that make sense? Like, keep left, pass right. I actually didn't think about K53 as an illustration, but it's working quite well, I have to say. So, he says... Make me understand that. Make me understand this broad guide for living. Make me understand your Ten Commandments. Make me get to the heart of it. And then he says, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. So the word meditate there is a Hebrew word pronounced siach. And here's what siach is. Take your hand. Stick it on your chin and think long and hard. Have a, have a musing about this thing. Like be busy with it and then end with. <sighs> You're right. You are so right. This is good stuff. That's what he says. That's what that word means. Meditate is, I mean, it, it, we have to use an English word to translate it really. But it's not that good of a word. Or you can actually translate it maybe a little bit differently. That's what he says. He says, if I keep on asking you to make me understand the heart of your guiding principles, I will get to this place. I will get to a place where I will sigh and say, you are good. You are good. And you are right. And you are wonderful. And you are awesome. And I understand why you gave these to me. Guys, can you see this line set in a stanza that comes from a cry for help? 
the psalmist at this point is not at a good place. But what he says is, regardless of where I am, if I ask you to make me understand your guiding principles, I will end up at a place where I will meditate, not on the words specifically, but on your wondrous works. You know the to and fro in the African church. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. The psalmist says to us, if you are busy with this, you'll get to that conclusion. Isn't that great and inspiring? Because you might be at a place where you doubt or where you wonder or where unbelief is creeping in. This is the place to start and meditate on it. Sit with it until you can sigh. You know what it's like in a conversation with a human being, whether it is an awesome congenial conversation that works for both or a heavy conflict conversation that in the end gets sorted out. You always end with a, this was good, this was good. And that's what the psalmist says. I want to understand your guiding principles so that I can end at that place. And then verse 28, it's very straightforward. He says, my soul melts away for sorrow. It goes back to verse 25. I feel like dying. Please strengthen me according to your word. Strengthen me by speaking to me. That is what I'm looking for, your spoken word. Next two verses. 29 and 30. It reads like this. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. So now all of a sudden he starts using the word Torah again. And the Torah is a collection of all the things that I have described to this point. So Torah encompasses God's spoken word, also God's precepts, also his statutes. So as the psalmist is crying out for help and asking God to make him understand the fullness of his word, he says to him once again, strengthen me according to your word, because I still feel like my soul is melting away. Same word used in verse 25, nephesh. My soul feels like it's melting away. And then here's the awesome, or another awesome line. He says, I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. Can you see how the psalmist cries out, thinks about God's word, and then postures himself. I'm not being sexist. It is a him that wrote this, because at that time, only men and only 2% of men could actually write. Okay, just putting that out there. He says, I'm posturing myself towards this word. And in verse 30, he uses the word rules. It's not a very popular word in the age we live in. Eh? I mean, who wants to follow rules? That's so boring. He uses the Hebrew word mishpat. And mishpat is justice and judgment and sentences. That means, this psalmist says, I've chosen to be faithful because the way you say it is, is the way that it is. Does that make sense? The way you judge something to be, I will accept that. You are the holder of what is good and what is bad. You are the one that in the end sentences and brings your justice and sets right. And I am going to align myself with that. I'm going to align myself with that. And then the last two verses, 31 and 32. I cling to your testimonies. Another word. 
O Lord, let me not be put to shame. Such an inspiring verse. Let me tell you why. He uses the Hebrew word there, I cling to your edot. Edot is detailed, practical guidelines and descriptions of how you should act. So a good example of edot is read Exodus 12. It's about how to prepare the Passover lamb. Like literally, step by step. And how to prepare your family for the Passover meal, step by step. That is Yadot. That is God getting into the detail of believers' lives, saying to them exactly how they should act. And this psalmist says, I cling to those. Please don't let me be put to shame. That means I'll make an effort with them. I'll keep on doing it. Regardless of who says what. And I'm going to trust you to be my glory. I'm going to trust you in the result of that. Because that is what you ask of me. Does that make sense? So here's a simple one. But it's a ripper. Well, a lot of are there. Forgive others as you were forgiven. Drops mic. Leaves. That is dot. That is a very specific way of acting and doing something. So will our world, will the place we live in help us with that? Absolutely not. But this psalmist says, I'm going to stick to it. And I'm going to trust God, the one who wrote those words, that I will not be put to shame. Whether it looks silly or not. I don't know about you. But Christians get ridiculed for these simple things things in the world that we live in and what shall we do cling to it for we will not be put to shame because that is God's word it's part of God's word why do you keep on speaking to that person why would you keep on giving towards that person or towards that cause why would you keep on going why would you keep on reading why would you keep on forgiving because that is our yadot. That is our testimonies. That is the very specific way that God wants us to live. Why would you keep on fighting a cause for ecology and recycling? Because God wants us to look after his earth. It's just another example. The psalmist says, I'm clinging to these things. And I'll keep going at it. Whether or not people think it's stupid. And then he ends the stanza with this, I will run. My word, in verse 25, he said, I felt like dying. A few verses later, being busy with God's word, being busy with this richness and awesomeness of his word, he ends at, I will run in the way of your commandments. When you enlarge my heart, literal translation, he says, please grow big. Please make big. My heart. And the Hebrew word for heart in this stanza is lebap. Or it says libi in the Hebrew Bible. And the reason why I'm telling you that is because that describes more than only this muscle that pumps blood inside your chest. It describes your, your, um, your 
your driving force. It describes your mind. It describes your will. It describes your inner man, like this part of you that you cannot see, for we can only see our outsides. And what he says is, I will run, I'll be back to strength, I'll be up again, in the way of your word, in the way of your commandments, he uses the word Torah again there, which is the encompassing word, please make my heart big enough to do it. Please put this word in my heart, my will, my mind, and my inner man, so that I can run again, so that I cannot be at a place where I feel like dying, but that I'll be strengthened, and that I'll be back up. Does that make sense to you? So what does Dalet, the fourth stanza, teach us? It teaches us, if you are crying for help, eat this book. Great, Reino. Nice one. How? Like, like how? How do I hear God's voice? How do I get to know God's guiding principles? How do I get to know God's specific guidelines? How do I get to know this thing called the Torah? I put it to you. It's like eating beef stew. Beef stew. Yes, huh? What a joy. Quarter past 11 on a Sunday morning. I don't know about you guys, but I feel hungry. How do you eat beef stew? Well, firstly, know that it is beef stew. Know what you read. And if you read the Bible, just just know what you read. Am I reading a historical narrative? Am I reading an epistle, a letter to someone? Am I reading a gospel, a story that describes Jesus? Am I reading apocalyptic material that speaks in, in symbols and pictures? It speaks about what has happened yet and what has not happened yet. Am I reading a poem? Am I reading a love story? Am I reading wisdom literature? And I can carry on like that. Like, what is it that you are reading? What is it that you are eating? Beef stew. Secondly, eat in different ways. I would start beef stew probably with a knife and fork. Probably. But then there'll be a time where I have to pick a bone that's got meat on and use my hands. And that experience will be so fantastic. I might, taking out that bone of my mouth, just take my finger and just dab it in the fatty sauciness in the plate and go, Oh, it's beautiful. Seeing that pop, no zippo, is everything for you. There might be a time where you take the pop and dip it in the stew. And then first kind of let the stew drizzle into your mouth and then bite it. And then have that squishiness of the pop mixed with the fattiness of the stew. Like eat it. (laughs) Eat it in different ways. None of you would sit in front of a pot of beef stew and only go knife and fork and that's all I'm going to use. I am that guy that takes the finger and goes at the end of the plate. You could literally almost pack that back into the cupboard. It's the same with with scripture. Read it in different ways. Sometimes just a line. Sometimes a whole book. Sometimes just a small part. Sometimes in the ESV, 
Sometimes in the CSB. Sometimes in the message. Sometimes if you read it on your U-Vision, press the play button and just listen to the person reading it to you. There's so many different ways that we can read the Bible. You can even, not putting anyone to shame, go Genesis for Kids. And watch the YouTube video and go, ah, that's how Joseph fits into the story. Because Joseph is such a huge part of Genesis, 37 to 50. But if you don't know what happens in 30 to 37, you'll never know who Joseph is. There's so many different ways. But for some reason, we think, five o'clock in the morning, for five minutes, I'm going to read out of this translation, no pen, no notepad, it'll all be stuck here. At quarter past five, you would have have forgotten what you read. Do it in different ways. Why not? And then, so we know what we're eating. We know there's different ways to eat it. What do you do then? What do you do then? Enjoy. Savor it. Delight in it. Get going on what is going on here. That is how you do it. Think about the bone. So I'm picking it up. And as I'm putting the piece of meat in my mouth, I'm loosening the meat from the bone. And I go, oh. The, the fat starts moving towards this cheek, but the bone on this side has got a little marrow in it. So now I'm kind of stuck on, which one do I do first? L- let me keep the meat on this side and really get that teeth going into the marrow. Suck it out. Try and swallow that without swallowing the meat and then get back to the meat. But then you realize there's a little piece of sinning in there that separates the meat from the fat. So then you chew on that and then it's the fat. You've got to dissect it. And then if you want to get a carrot in on this cheek or a piece of potato and enjoy that. Weigh it up. Pull it apart. And enjoy each part for what it is. But, but have it all in the end. Who, who are these characters? What does this word mean? Why would they mention Caesarea Philippi? Like, what's going on there? Who are the Sadducees? Who are the Pharisees? Why, what is the Sikot or the Feast of Tabernacles? I've never read that. Why is this place a place of importance? Like, get going on Scripture. Weigh it up. Pull it apart. Think about all the different parts. Because as a whole, it's about enjoying the whole. Then, after you've done that with your beef stew, this is what you do. You sit back and you go, "Mm, mm, 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 that was good. You know what I just, I loved the tomato in the sauce. I think that was it. Or there was a, the, the, the outer part of the meat was, was chewy. Was it maybe just grilled towards the end and glazed? Yeah, that was it. That was it. That's what made this stew so special. It's exactly what you do with the Bible. Pray. Think it through. I mean, you've just had it. You know what you just read. You did it in a way that gave you a new experience. You enjoyed it. Ah, so good. It's brilliant. Think about it. Pray about it. Like, like what was the best part? Because if you get to that, then you'll do it. So if I get to, it was the tomato, here's what I'm going to do. Next time I make stew, tomato. Right in there. 
Because it actually changed the way that I saw and tasted stew. I'll do it. It's the same as scripture reading. Then you'll get to a place where you say, this scripture compels me to do this. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. The part of the gospel that I read this morning of Jesus speaking to a crowd of people has taught me this. And that's what I'm going to do. And that's how you read scripture. It's actually called Lectio Divina, which means the holy reading of the scriptures, which is one way of reading scripture. I just thought we are a transcultural church that does not speak Latin. So let me contextualize Lectio Divina in an illustration of eating beef stew. So where do you guys think we get it wrong? I don't even think that we think about what we read. We just read, kind of flip it open and read. I don't think we do it in different ways. I really don't. I think we stick to one way and that makes us feel entrenched. And I think we want to jump to what do I have to do too quickly. I really do. Because we open up the scripture, we've pressed for time, we're not quite sure what's going on here, I can't study the Sadducees this morning, just give me something to do. Ah, forgive, okay, great, I'll go and do that today. Boom, and we're off. We read the scriptures wrong if we do it that way. Because here's the thing, we do it that way, and then we think we are going to have the beef stew eating experience that I just described. And then we don't. And then it creates dissonance in our heads because everyone tells me, oh, the Bible is so fantastic, but I've never tasted it. I don't know how people get to, I want to uh, speak about the scripture today, or I want to send you a scripture reference, or God spoke to me about this word. I hear people saying that, but I don't know how they get to it. It's because you rush it. It's because you're not treating the Bible as beef stew. So I want to show you a picture. Just for in case, you might consider doing it this week. Are you familiar with this scene in the movie Hitch? I'm a massive Will Smith fan, not necessarily because of his personal stuff that he puts out on social media, but I think he's a good actor. So in Hitch, he says to Albert Brenneman, the guy doing the Q-tip, Albert Brenneman says to him, dancing is the one thing I'm not worried about. And then Hitch goes, show me. And then Albert Brenneman puts on a song from, uh, I think it's Usher, Usher and Lil Wayne and Lil John or someone, all the little ones. And he, uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't mean that condescending. And then Albert Brenneman would dance, and that's Hitch's face. And once Albert Brenneman finishes, he goes, you cannot stop this, you cannot stop this. Then Will Smith stands like this, and he goes, don't you ever do that again. Mm-mm. And then he slaps him in the face. I want you to remember this picture. If you read scripture, but you don't read it like you eat beef stew. Remember this picture. Let's give Jesus the last word. What will we get if we eat this book? What will we get if we eat this book? Jesus, speaking in John 5, verse 39 to 40, says the following. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is that they bear witness about 
me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Just marinate in that for a second. Luke 24, verse 25 to 27. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke 24, verse 44 to 48. It's just a little bit later in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus now speaking to his followers, to which he appeared after being resurrected from, the, from death. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. If you keep yourselves busy with this, you'll find the author and the perfecter of our faith. Our living Lord, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We want to be a gospel-centered church. We are a gospel-centered church because this wonderful book that was given to us is a gospel-centered book. Are you crying for help? Eat this book. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we marvel in the fact that we have this book that points to you and that you have fulfilled. We are so privileged to have something that we can enjoy, that we can delight in, that we can study, that will strengthen us, that will get us back to a running state, that will not put us to shame, but that will drive our lives to be your followers, to be your body. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would love, love your word and that we would be in it, that we would enjoy it and study it. And I feel compelled, Lord, this morning to pray against everything that steals our time with the word. All of us can witness about distractions, and busy programs, and lack of focus, and another message to be answered. But Lord, we repent from that this morning as your body. We turn from it, for it is a lame excuse. It is a lame excuse to use the time that you have given us every day in such a manner. Grant us the, the grace and the mercy to make space for this. Open up our minds to study your scriptures and to be in awe of it once more. For we want to run in the ways of your guiding principles, your detailed guidelines, your law, and your spoken word. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that we can be your church 
indwelled by your spirit to have insight and revelations as we go through these scriptures. Amen.